Is this making a weird sound? Mm. It's better now. Now it's better? Okay. All right, so here's here's the deal, guys. It's a little confusing. I gotten used to when we were going through John, we did a chapter a week, so when you go, it's John 3, which is also John 3, and you know, you see what I mean? Well, we're the f- this is the third week of James. We, I guess it doesn't matter to you guys because you don't care at all what part of James we're on. We're, do- we're doing, j- <laughs> it's the third week of j- part three of James, but it's actually chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. So next time I'll think through that because that was irrelevant. So if you want to turn there in your phone, James 2, 1 through 13, the thing about James, which we've said before is, you know, there's parts of the Bible. How many of y'all have read parts of the Bible and been like, I have no idea what that means, right? Like, you, sometimes you're reading through parts of Daniel and you're like, what is the horn thing? I don't get, there's a horn with horns, what? You know, and there's, in Ezekiel, there's like things with eyes on them and Revelation, there's a lot of stuff. And those books, yeah, you need to do a lot of homework to kind of understand what's going on. James isn't like that. James is kind of just like, I wrote you a letter that says, hey, you know, stop doing that. You're like, what did they mean by that? And like, they meant stop doing that. It's not really that hard to figure out. So um, this section we're going to read today is very much like that. There's almost not that much that even needs to be said other than just reading it. So I'm not going to say all that much about it because it's pretty obvious. But we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going through James is read the chunks, and then we're going to talk about them. So Dalton, come on up here. We're going to read this. Verses 1 through 13 of chapter 2. I'm going to have Dalton read through it because he reads better. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here, or sit at the floor by my feet? Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. So as I said, that's pretty straightforward. It's not a mystery what he was getting at there. And I think every single one of us can understand this, even if you never heard it before. Just to remind everybody some context, James um, is a book where Jesus' brother, his actual biological half-brother, um, is taking lots of Jesus' teachings 
which you find throughout the Gospels and, you know, mostly like Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain and these things. And he's applying them to the lives of the believers of that day, most of whom were Jewish and they were experiencing kind of like what I said, we kind of maybe experience increasingly more in our culture, not like persecution, like they're killing you, but just kind of, you know, it was a social, it, it, when, when they, they found out, people found out, oh, you're a Christian, they would kind of cut them out of society. And some of these people was getting more aggressive, like, you know, you can't, we're not going to give you this business deal, you know, things that would be on the upper level of annoying, but the below the level of physical harm. You see what I'm saying? And I think that we're increasingly, as Christian people, kind of finding ourselves in that sort of position in a post-Christian America. So you go, well, how do we respond to it? Because, you know, like Kevin brought up last week, half the group was like, we should just get a bunch of swords and kill these people, you know? And uh, he's increasing them, or he's encouraging them not to do that through Jesus' teaching and applying them. And he's like giving them guidance of how to live in that situation. So it's quite easy for us to apply all of this stuff. And so all I want to do is just read through this again and just make a couple observations because as we go through James, it's like when you read through the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus, he's like, and then there's this, and this like deep thing, and then there's this other deep thing, and then there's this other deep thing. And you might be like, that second one really messed me up a little bit. And you're like, okay, well, you stay there for now. That's what God is saying to you. So as we go through this book, beyond just today, but also today, this is Jesus' teaching being applied to a group of people who are trying to follow Jesus in a society that's increasingly not interested in what they're doing and maybe looking down on them and cutting them out. And it's giving them practical application of that. So when you encounter something, you go, you know, I've had that problem or I, I've, I've experienced that. That's the thing you want to stick with and talk to God about it. You know, this is his word. It's, 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 it's our Bible. It's not, you know, um, it's him giving us what we need. So the, it starts off, it says the whole thing kind of at the beginning. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. And I wrote down the definition of favoritism just in case we were trying to wiggle out of that. It's the practice of giving unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. And I would think that every single one of us here would just, if I said, hey, I've got a suggestion for how we would solve anything, you know, like you're in a situation with somebody at work or at school or in your family, I have a solution. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to give preferential treatment to this group against this group over here. Wouldn't you just go, that sounds wrong, though, doesn't it? Like, it just, every person, I'm not saying, this book is written to believers now. So if you're sitting in this room, you go, well, I'm not really a believer. If you're watching online because somehow you found this on YouTube, you go, I don't even know if I believe Jesus. It's not exactly written to you. I mean, you're welcome to to join (laughs) or follow Jesus. But the thing is, you know, he's talking, if you say, if you believe in Jesus... If you're a follower of Jesus, you cannot show favoritism. And I would say that every person that has any sort of moral bone in their body would go, yeah, that sounds right to me. You know, giving favoritism sounds like something that is bad, you know, by any moral compass. I think everybody would agree with that. So the question is, why do we do it so much? And he's implying these guys were doing it. He's not writing this. He's like, you know... Just as a reminder, favoritism is a really bad thing. Even though I know it's not there, I just want to say that in case it ever comes up. You know, he actually gets into the details of like how well, this is a problem. And so I think without being too, you know, well, I'm glad I wasn't a part of that church because, you know, I think he's to all of us saying, why do you do it then? 
And it's easy to go, well, I know other people are doing it, but I'm not. Let's all focus on ourselves as we go through the book of James, all right? You know, because it's easy to go, yeah, I know my neighbor does that, but maybe he should read the book of James. This is written to you, all right? <laughs> Believers must not show favoritism. So that's kind of it. We could just say, amen, let's stand, you know. We were Mike Bickle. Roman law favored the rich, and James is saying that, uh, that like, he's like, when you act like that, you're acting like the world. Like, this is, he's, and he's bringing this up because everybody knows that. They're like, this is a situation that we're finding ourselves in, the life that we find ourselves in in this, you know, uh, this world is telling, is, is giving favoritism to the rich. The Roman law is doing that. Roman law, actually, I think, I didn't do all the homework on this. I'm trusting a commentary, but they were saying how the law itself was written to literally favor rich people because they benefited society more, so we need to, you know, have, you know, we would call that systemic, you know, favoritism of some sort. And he's like, that's literally incompatible with the faith of Jesus in the kingdom of God. And then he starts giving examples. Suppose a rich man comes in, or a man comes in really gold, you know, and then you give that guy special attention, and then the poor guy, you go, ah, you sit at my feet or whatever. He goes, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So rich person, poor person, rich, what does he really, you know, I think that if we stuck only in the financial situation, we could kind of wiggle our way out of this. We're like, well, good for me. I don't uh, criticize poor people so much, you know. But I think that what you need to see is behind just rich financially and poor financially. Because when Jesus taught about rich and poor, he didn't only talk about money. He talked about poor in spirit and things like that. You know, actually, when he's referencing one of Jesus' teachings, depending on which gospel you go to and which translation you go to, it literally says poor in spirit. So the, uh, what we need to see is rich, meaning somebody who has something I want to be associated with versus somebody I don't want to be associated with. I'm going to give favoritism to the person I want to be associated with, which in a weird, twisted way is kind of self-centered anyway. You know, I benefit from this somehow, therefore I give preferential treatment. It's not the same as honor, like this is an older person that I'm going to honor, you know, or something like that. You know, that's actually a good thing. Um, but it's, it's saying that this person here benefits me, I want to be associated with them, and therefore I'm going to treat them differently or act differently around this than this other person over here that takes from me. <laughs> and he's saying, if you do that, you're a lawbreaker. And he's putting this in the context of evil stuff like murder. It's not hard to understand this. And I think that we all do it probably far more than, the thing that I would want us to think about is how often do we do this and start to try to figure out uh, what we can do in our lives to change that. Because our society, just like the society they were part of, is kind of built on this. You know, the movie The Godfather is kind of built on this. You know what I mean? It's like, that's just how these things work. You know, I take care, you take care of me, we, you know, you know, we kill these other people, you know. Um, he goes into the loving your neighbor as yourself as um, a quotation. You know, when they asked Jesus, what's the, uh, the biggest commandment? He's like, well, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he's like, and if you're not doing that, uh, he's saying, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted 
by the law as lawbreakers. <laughs> they don't really have anything to say about it. It's just kind of, uh, you can't say you're loving your neighbor and at the same time show favoritism. And then it says here, to speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I want to read this again, and we'll talk about it, and that's going to be kind of it. Speak and act as though who are those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. A couple things to note on this. Realize we're going to be judged here, guys. And kind of has, uh, Cheryl was talking about salvation and stuff like that. We can get hung up on this stuff. You know, the book of Romans talks about how we're saved, you know, and as Protestant people, we're very familiar with this. We're saved through grace alone, by Christ alone, you know, his word alone. It's like, of course, we believe this. You know, we are saved by God through his actions alone. And that's a gift to us. But the book of James also reminds us that God surely cares a heck of a lot how we live. And we'll start seeing next week when he starts to break that down a little bit. You know, you try to claim you're a Christian and you don't act like one. He's like, that, that, it's, then you're not one. You know, <laughs> but we'll say that for next week. But the, uh, um, <laughs> the, uh, but this here is like, it's a reminder that we're going to be judged. We're going to stand before God one day. Every single person will. Every single person will. But then he starts to talk about this relationship between mercy and justice, which were very important themes Jewish teachers taught about the character of God himself. Mercy and judgment. Matthew 5, 7 says that blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is where he starts to talk about how we're we need to stand up and realize we are going to be judged before God. And that whole thing should affect and twist and show us how we should interact with everybody else. And let me break that down because I know it's a little weird. Matthew 7, 1 through 5 says this, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time you have a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I think we all understand exactly what that's talking about. What I'm saying is we're reading James. Don't just think about your brother or your neighbor or your friend, you know, Think about ourselves, because we have these planks in our eyes, but we're so attuned to seeing the speck in other people's eyes. And it's not saying that neither one of those, it's like, that speck is there. He's not going, that's a speck, who cares? You know, he's just saying, like, in order of like importance to you and importance to how you're relating to God, realize you're not doing so great yourself over here. You know, and in fact, in this, maybe a lot worse. You know, he's using words like planks as if you wouldn't notice there was, like, you know, and he's setting up a way of being, okay? Don't get caught up in, this, in the metaphors of the story. He's saying that, yes, there's people around you. Yes, their lives are full of sin. Yes, the whole society, this world we live in, we were just talking about the situation in Honduras. That's what people do because we're evil, okay? And he's saying that don't just think it's everybody else. 
realize it's inside you as well, and you're doing the same sorts of things. And keep in mind, he's writing to believers here, guys. But then he reminds us that mercy triumphs over judgment. So mercy, right, triumphs over judgment. The judgment is, yes, Kayla, come on up here. The, the speck is real, but so is the plank. Like, that's correct. Is Kayla here? Kayla's not here. Justin, come up here and play something. Justin's here. Okay. <laughs> I need the background music. The speck is real. The plank is also real. So first he wants you to realize there is a plank. So that some of us will just stop there for the day, and that's fine, you know. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is getting something you don't deserve. Remember we are talking about salvation, like this thing that God's done for us that we don't deserve? Mercy is getting something we don't deserve. And that triumphs over judgment, meaning that, like, if Justin owed me $5 and I said, no, you don't have to pay it back, he doesn't have to pay it back. You see what I'm saying? That's, how that, that's what that's kind of meaning. You know, like my saying, you don't have to pay me back, it's a gift. Um, that's triumphing over the fact that, hey, you owe me $5. You know what I mean? So a couple examples that I just want to read really quick that, again, are just Jesus' teachings being rephrased throughout this whole thing. I've referenced this one already, Matthew 22, where Jesus, when they asked him, like, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. That's what, it, that's what Jesus said. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It means there is nothing in the entire Old Testament scripture that doesn't work based on this. This is the whole key to the whole thing. Loving God, right relation, you know, fully heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you can't do that without loving your neighbor as yourself. You also can't love your neighbor as yourself without fully loving God either. They're like forever stuck together. And also this thing about forgiveness. John 3.16, it's like the most famous verse in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave mercy, gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's showing you God's intent here. The judgment is we are all judged. We went through that a lot in the book of James, I mean the book of uh, John. There's a lot of, I mean, we stand judged before God. We're, we're a sinful people. We live among sinful people. But Jesus came to save us from that. God was merciful to each and every one of us. And then the freedom, John 8, 3, 36. John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So all of this together is just to remind us this, that all of us are sinful, but through what Jesus has done on the cross, he's invited us through forgiveness back into the family of God, restoring us a relationship with God that we didn't have anymore and putting us back together um, with him and with those around us. And because of that, we're given everything we don't deserve. That should change our attitude towards how we see and treat others. Because when you think that you deserve salvation 
or you deserve to be treated a certain way because you know God, or you deserve something, you're forgetting the plank you had in your eye or the plank you have in your eye. I deserve to be treated this way because of what? How mean you are? How cruel you are to other people? How much you hate yourself? I mean, like, what is it, you know? Like, God talks about our righteousness being like a pile of heaping rags. It's not to say you shouldn't be good. Obviously, the whole book's about that. But the thing is, when you try to put that up as, like, your bet or your ant, you're like, I'm going to stand on everything I've done. He's like, it's not that good. I'm going to remind you about that. You don't have to worry about it, though, because God's got your back. But because God's got your back, that should change how you deal with all the situations you run into. Because you get tricked into thinking, well, everything I do, every time I drive, I'm driving out of the kindness and love for everyone around me as I drive my car. But all these other idiots are completely evil and motivated by pure evil in all of their movements. Thank God that that's the way. It's not that way. <laughs> you just kind of say, like, hey, you know, when you, when you see that guy driving bad, yeah, he's driving bad, but, like, you need to get the, you, you get the plank thing. This gives us the law that brings freedom. The law that brings freedom is this. We deserve nothing. But through God's love for each and every one of us, which he has, he loves us when we're rotten like that. He loves us. All the deepest thoughts we've ever thought about other people, about ourselves, you know, we can think that, well, I hate myself. That's not harming anyone but me. It's like that harms God made you. God spoke you into existence, and you think if you hate yourself that that's not a bad thing? That's hating something God made. It's the same as hating somebody else. So, so our righteousness is not that great. It's bad, in fact. But God loves us, and he comes to save us, and he does save us if we just call on his name. And because of that realization of what's happened, it allows us to live a life where we love those around us that don't deserve it either. Because they don't. He's not saying, you know, if you looked a little closer, you'd see how great all these people are. And partly that will happen. You know, the, the kind of love covers a multitude of sins sort of thing. But, like, the idea is they're bad too. But we can love them because we've realized what God has done for us. And we also realize he's done it for them. And that allows us to get through the difficult things. Because there's difficult things. You know, when you look at a situation like Sandy was talking about, this is not made up. This is like evil people who want money and drug power taking away land that's being used to help children who don't have parents. This is pretty evil stuff. Like that makes me want to like, let's get in a van and go shoot a bunch of people. You know what I mean? And then we have the Bible say, you have to love these guys. And I'm like, I'm not feeling it right now. Did you see what I'm saying? Now we can dial it back down to this stuff in my life. It's like, well, yeah, but this guy's a jerk to me. And you're like, I'm commanded to love them. It's not possible just by trying harder. You have to have experienced this situation that I'm talking about with God, where He loves you because, and He saves you because. Then that allows you to love and reach out in salvation to those others around us. It's not something we can do. It's something the Holy Spirit has to do in us and through us. And it needs to happen not just once, okay? 
And you go, well, I'm saved. It's like the Bible talks about salvation in three tenses. Having been saved. So there is an idea about that. It also talks about being saved, which I'm not grammatical anymore. I can't remember. Present being. You know, are you being? You know, <laughs> being saved. And then be will be saved, which is future. All right? And it's all three of those. And so we need to experience this thing, this transaction with God over and over again, different pl- parts of our lives. And I'm not saying that you go, well, when do I know if I'm saved? Like, let's not get into that. I'm not trying to. What I'm saying is, don't think that if you prayed a prayer once when you were seven years old, that you're not supposed to ever experience this situation with God anymore, okay? It's continual. And it will be ultimately later in the future, which none of us have experienced yet. So everyone is invited. And through that, that's what Jesus has done. That's how our lives have changed. And then we can live lives where mercy truly triumphs over judgment towards other people. Because the judgment isn't wrong. Most of the time. I mean, we are flawed people, so we're certainly full of wrong judgment, you know. But even in the example of the plank and the speck, God's not saying the speck doesn't exist. He's just saying that there's other things that also exist and that matter tremendously to Him. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to hear the part of your morality or the part of your being the part of how you see things, the part of how you want us to see ourselves that you want to speak through this word. Lord, that we would stop being people of judgment to give preferential treatment to those around us that benefit us or to use people in that way. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see those around us the way that you do, so that we might love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but also love our neighbor as ourselves. That we'd be a true kingdom of people who, or a church, a gathering of people who do that and live out your kingdom um, as we just prayed earlier in the service that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth here as it is in heaven, Lord, and it would be done in our lives. So, Father, we repent for not living this way before you. And I ask, Lord, that you would move with your Holy Spirit's power through us um, in forgiveness, repentance, and in a realization of the depths of your love for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name. You can stand. We're going to sing this song to close.
we just come before you this morning recognizing that indeed we are needy people. Lord, it's easy for us to point to the other person, point to the neighbor, point to the, the group out of society that seems to be uh, wreaking havoc with things. And yet, Lord, help us to understand that as we try to get the speck out of somebody else's eye, we're incapacitated by the plank that's in our own eye to do that. And so, Lord, help us to rely on you. Lord, help us to fall on your mercy, your grace. And, Lord, allow our hearts and our minds to be changed in such a way, Lord, that we would love you passionately. And, Lord, we would love one another. We would love our neighbor compassionately. Lord, thank you for your example. Thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for the opportunity of not only participating in that, but Lord, to share that with others around us. Go with us now as we leave this place. May your peace and your love uh, go before us and surround us in all that we do. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.